Let's open our Bibles, please, the book of Revelation, the sixth chapter. I want to say again about the last two or three verses, a few things. Revelation chapter 6. Let's read verse 15 through 17. And then we'll get into the seventh chapter and try to deal with it. Revelation 6 verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? There's coming a time during the tribulation period that men will want to be hidden from the judgment of God. And uh, now the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. But then there will be judgment because uh, the wrath of God will be revealed against all sin and ungodliness and judgment will be meted out according as is needed. And God is a just God. Christ is the one who has been given all judgment. If you read John chapter 5, it says that uh, the Father has given the judgment to the Son to judge in all things. I believe it's Acts chapter 17 verse 35 that says God hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained and that He hath given assurance unto all men and that He hath raised Him from the dead. By the way, that's verse 31 instead of 35. Acts 17 31. I thought it was wrong when I said it and so I thought I'd better check. Uh, we want to realize that Jesus is the one that is uh, going to appear. The Son of Man shall come in power and great glory, and He'll be judged not only for believers, but for the wicked dead in, in the 20, 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. I think that's enough said about the 6th chapter. Now we find that uh, in the 7th chapter, that uh, divine judgment, verses 1 through 3, is restrained. There's a time of restraint of this judgment. If you'll notice in verse 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 1, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. Now then, this is the judgment that could be turned loose, that was restrained. In the book of Daniel chapter 7, In verse 2 it says, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And he speaks of uh, the winds representing the judgment of God that would come. And here in Revelation 7 verse 1 it says that the four angels were to, they were holding the four winds of the earth. They were holding back the judgment of God. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor in any tree. And then it says in verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, 
nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So this judgment was to be restrained until a sealing of the servants of God took place. By the way, if you'll notice in this uh, sixth chapter, we have opened six seals of the book of Revelation. And we'll get the seventh one in chapter 8, verse 1. But the opening of these seals shows that the judgments of God are being poured out. And furthermore, the opening of these seals are not all the things that you read here are not to be taken in just a special chronological order that one thing happens and another thing happens. It's just revealing. It's like a whole book and you just open it all and you've got it all before you opened. And so there's six of it, all but one seal of the whole book of Revelation has been opened. And you get that one open in chapter 8, verse 1. And so what, what you have is a full, open revelation of the things that are going to take place during the tribulation period. And it's before your eyes to see. And it's not especially written in chronological order so that you say this happened in chapter 6 and, and there's no more of it. Because chapter 6 and these riders on these various horses... Uh, and the sword and the judgment and the famine and the death all continue right on through the tribulation period. So what you're seeing is a is a foreview of things that are continuing to happen. It's not just like one, two, and three, and that's the end of it. It's one, two, and three, and it's a continuation as far as the seals are concerned. So they're not to be taken exactly in chronological order. Now then, uh, I want you to look at verse uh, 4. You have in verse 4 through 8 the divine sealing of the 144,000 Jews. Verses one. If you want this division, verses 1 through 3 was divine judgment restrained. The second division, and that was verses 1 through 3. The second division is divine sealing of the 144,000 Jews. And that's verses 4 through 8. Verses 4 through 8. And then when we get to 9, we'll give you something else, another title. So, that'll take us down through 8. I want you to notice verse 4 now. It says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, the tribes of Israel were scattered. They would be scattered all over the the globe. But God will regather them and He will put a divine seal upon them. And this divine seal will signify that He owns them. It signifies ownership. It signifies approval. And by the way, it signifies protection because they'll have divine protection during the tribulation period. So you have ownership, approval, and protection. And, uh, you know, there have been many groups that claim to be these 144,000 that are sealed. Some people have even confused and said the church is represented here, but the church is not represented here at all. Because the, this is during the tribulation period, and the church has already been, the saints of God of this day and age of grace have already been taken up, chapter 4, verse 1. 
the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation deal with the church age and you don't find the word church mentioned anymore. So uh, there, you find the word churches in the last chapter, but it's where Jesus said these things, uh, say, He says to all the churches. So He's just summing up the fact that all of this is for the churches to hear and understand. But the church is off the scene. The saints of God in this day and age of grace are off the scene. They're in heaven. They're up in glory. And then the tribulation breaks loose upon this earth. In chapter 6, verse 1, the seals were opened and the judgments begin to, to be revealed. And so when you find these that claim to be this company of, uh, of the sealed, 144,000, there are several groups. The Jehovah's Witness used to be Millennial Dawnists. Dawnism, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists have made a claim on being the 144,000 because they are the ones that keep the commandments of God, especially attributing it to the Sabbath day keeping. And there are other cults, and even some churches have claimed to be will make up that number. But they won't do it. Because these, these sealed, this sealed company is of Israel. If a person claims to be of that 144,000, I'm going to say, it's good to ask this question. What tribe do you belong to? You're the tribe of Ephraim or Reuben or Dan? Are you a Jew? Do you belong to a certain tribe of Israel? Well, if not, you don't qualify, friend. And there's a lot of people, that cultish people especially, that claim to be of that 144,000. These are 144,000 of Israel. And as we read it, you'll see who they are. We'll find why two tribes are uh, not mentioned and they're substituted for another two in here because of certain things. And when we get down to it, we'll try to explain that to you. But if you'll look at verse uh, 4, it says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed in 140 and 4,000. Uh, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. These are going to be God's preachers during the tribulation period. Not only to their own, but to the Gentile world. It says, of the tribe of Judah, now you might underline Judah, Reuben, and Gad in this fifth verse. When we come across them, just put you a, if you have a red pen or a black either, but just put a, a, a check or an underline by Judah. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Now verse 6. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Iskar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. So that includes uh, four verses of three each, making a total of 12. And you have the 144, 12 times 12 is 144,000. Now then, if you'll notice, you do not see the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Ephraim. You do not see the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. If you look at verse 7, Levi is substituted. Look in verse 7, the middle of it, of the tribe of Levi. Levi here is substituted for Dan. We'll give you the reasons for this in a moment. 
Now then, down in verse 8, you have Joseph, though he was one of the sons of Israel. Uh, you have Joseph that usually uh, here is represented by, uh, he represents the tribe of Ephraim. Now then, there is a reason for Dan and Ephraim not to be included in this sealing. And if you want to follow this, I'll try to help you with it. They're omitted from these twelve tribes. And Joseph and Levi are substituted. But if you go back in Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 through 21, it explains that, and I won't go into that, I'll just let you read that at a later time, but I will go into another reference in a minute that will help you to understand it. But it explains how that if these tribes depart from God and go into idolatry, God will not consider them, that they will be, in a sense, cut off. Uh, But these two tribes were guilty of idolatry, and you'll find it to be so, and this reference I would like for you to look at, uh, in 1 Kings 12, verses 25 through 30. 1 Kings 12, verse 25 through 30. Uh, the other reference I gave you was Deuteronomy 29, verse 18 through 21, and it tells you of the, the tribes that they, if they go into idolatry that God will do what He has done here and, and uh, discount them. But now, you'll find the reason in 1 Kings 12, 25 through 30. Let me read it for you. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim. See, Ephraim is included. And dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So Jeroboam, wanting to keep, keep the kingdom in his control made it convenient for them to worship other than the place where God had designated for them to worship in Jerusalem. It says, they, uh, even Rehoboam, this is verse 27, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king, this is Jeroboam, took counsel and made two calves of gold. Here's their idolatry. And said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem, He wanted to make it very convenient for the people to worship. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So he said, Israel, these two golden calves are your gods. And what did he do? And he set one in Bethel. This is the tribe of Ephraim. This is the southern kingdom, part of the kingdom. And the other put he in Dan. And that's the northern part. So Ephraim, or Bethel, which represents Ephraim here, and Dan, shows you that idolatrous worship was set up by Jeroboam for Israel to worship. And these two were the main ones that had gone into idolatry. And you can see why that they're not included over in the book of Revelation when God is counting His people. He substitutes Joseph for Ephraim, and He substitutes... uh, uh, Levi for Dan. Remember the tribe of Levi was a special tribe that was set apart for uh, the priestly function, priestly worship. And of course, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were usually put in his place to represent him because he had these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And Manasseh is included, if you notice, in that passage we read in the book of Revelation. So we find that, uh, I'll continue to read in 1 Kings 12. You still have your place there. It says, And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And it goes on to say, And he, that is uh, Jeroboam, made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. You see, the, only the sons of Levi were to function in a priestly office. So Jeroboam was setting up an idolatrous worship. He was doing it after his own self, for his own selfish reasons. He was using the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Dan. He was setting up two golden calves to worship. And in doing so, he was making a man-made religion completely apart from any direction from God whatsoever, just because he wanted to keep the people under his control and he didn't want them to go to Jerusalem to worship. He made it easy for the people. He says, I'll just put one up here where it's convenient. They won't have to go anywhere. God had said they'd go to Jerusalem to worship. And uh, old Jeroboam says, no, I'll, let the, I'll make a place in the northern kingdom and I'll make a place in the southern kingdom and they can worship right where they are and they won't have to put forth any effort. They'll have a religion that doesn't cost them anything. And it was completely corrupt. And if you'll notice verse 32... It says, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. So he tried to copy the feasts of God. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves, having sacrificed to these idols that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. See, it was his doings. God had nothing whatsoever to do with it. It was completely a man-made religion, disregarding the commands of God and the Word of God. Now, verse 33, So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had, looked devised of his own heart. God didn't have a feast that day, but it's a month that he chose and he devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So you can see why God would be displeased with Dan and Ephraim. And over in Revelation, turn back to Revelation chapter 7 now, and we've tried to give you some of the reasons. And this is the reason that I've given you that they are omitted in Revelation chapter 7. By the way, now then, they're included in the list of the, ten, uh, the twelve tribes that shall occupy Palestine in the millennium. And you'll find that in Ezekiel uh, 48, verses 1 through 7, and also verse 23 through 29 in the book of Ezekiel 48. And I won't take time to go read that one, but you can mark that one in your Bible if you'd like. Now then, this is a heavenly presentation more than earthly inheritance that they're later seen with the Lamb on the heavenly Mount Zion. In chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, you have this heavenly group or tribes seen in uh, verses 1 through 5 for their, their heavenly preservation more than their earthly inheritance. They're later seen with the Lamb on the heavenly Mount Zion. That's Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. Now, the omission, as we've said before, is to show that Dan and Ephraim 
not only were excluded because of their idolatry, but that they must pass, even though they're in the last group of the 144,000 and of the tribes, even though they're there, we find that they must pass through the tribulation unprotected by the angelic sealing. These that were sealed here in Revelation chapter 7 would have God's divine protection. We already said that they were uh, God would show His ownership to them. He would show His approval of them and His protection for them. And so they'll pass through... Uh, Dan and Ephraim will have to pass through the tribulation unprotected because of their sin. Now then, let's go on and read. Uh, chapter 7, verse 9. We have to do with the vision... And you might write it down. I've given you, this is point number three. I've given you two points. Number three, and it's chapter seven, verse nine, just this one verse. And this is the vision of the sea, of the saved Jews and Gentiles during the tribulation period. The vision of the saved Jews and Gentiles. And then verse 10 through 12 shows us the song. This is number four. If you have Number four on the outline. It's the song of the saved. We find them uh, singing and crying out and blessing God and etc. That's verses 10 through 12. And by the way, verses 13 through 17, and I'll go ahead and give you the last point. You have the elder's question. There's a question asked. And John's reply. The elder's question. There's an elder that asks uh, a question. And John gives his reply. That's verses 13 through 17. But now let's pick up with verse 9. Verse 9. By the way, before we pick up with verse 9, let me give you something about these tribes. uh, The twelve tribes of Israel. Later on, we'll find that they flee into a place of protection. And it's another, uh, another point in the, in the book of Revelation when we get there. But let me just give you Matthew 24, verse 13 and 14, if you will. Because this shows, Jesus is talking about the tribulation period. And He says in verse 13 and 14, and it ties in what we said about the Jews and about their preaching during the tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 13 and 14. It says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He's talking about these people that we've just talked about. Israel. Enduring to the end of the tribulation, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in, a, in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. These two verses are very important. The end does not come until these twelve tribes and this Jewish remnant, these people, preach during the tribulation period. And it says those of the... The ones that preach that endure to the ends, the same shall be saved. They're going to be saved out of the end of the tribulation period and go into the millennial kingdom. And it says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. What? In all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, this is a very important point for this reason. 
or for many reasons, but I'll give you at least to start out with this. For this reason, have you heard evangelists today saying that just as quick as we get the gospel preached to all the world, the Lord's going to rapture the saints? That's not what he's talking about. Because the gospel will, will not be preached to all the world until through this tribulation period there are people that are saved that will be reached by the Jews that will be preaching to the regions in the utmost part of the earth. Very enthusiastic and very successful in their preaching because they will be sealed and protected of God and they'll preach that in, in tribulation times. So, the evangelist that's getting up on your television today and saying, now, if we don't reach all the world, we've got to reach all the world before Jesus comes for His own. Not so. Jesus is going to come for His own when He gets ready. And when the Father is ready. And then that gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. Matthew chapter 24 is very Jewish in background. And if you, if you study it with that in view, all of this is talking about tribulation in Matthew 24. And that's why it says, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Those will be saved out of that tribulation. And they'll go into the millennial kingdom. And they will escape the death of, of the, that will be brought about by the persecution during that time. Now then, if you give it any other light, if you say, well, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. If you apply that to a personal salvation, that means that you've got to endure what? You've got to hold on or what? Till the end and you could be lost if you're not holding on fast enough? That's not what he's talking about. And if you get it in the context of a personal salvation that you've got to hold on till the end or endure to the end in order that your salvation is secured, you're taking your security out of the hands of God and put it in, putting it in yourself. It's very important you understand what I'm talking about right here. Very important. Because you're either saved by grace and kept by the power of God or you're saved... Uh, by works, and you're kept by your own power and endurance. One way or the other. But if this is talking about the tribulation period and those that it will endure, they'll, they're saved. Jesus said in another place, except they endure to the end, except those days be shortened. Let's see if it says it right there. There shall no flesh be saved. Down to verse 22. You have Matthew 24? Let's read verse 21 22. It's for, it says, For then shall be great tribulation. Verse 21 22. Matthew 24, 21 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. When shall it be? Well, it's not going to be the greatest tribulation until we're talking about the great tribulation, is it? And it says, and except those days should be shortened, during that tribulation, God has put a limit to the days of tribulation. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, who's the elect here? The elect Israel. Those days shall be shortened. For the elect. Those days shall be shortened. By the way, you still have Matthew 24? 
It says in verse 30, well, 29, 30, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. We read that in the sixth chapter. Heaven departed as a scroll. The stars was falling. And these, this is as man would view the upheaval and the things transpiring. And then it says in verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. Look at this. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man. Now look, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now when will that happen? Revelation 19. When the Son of Man comes in power and great glory. You're talking about Him coming back to this earth in power and great glory. Read Revelation 19. And He's coming back and judgment will take place. And the 20th chapter of Revelation, the kingdom, age, the millennial rule and reign of Christ. But He doesn't come back in power and great glory when He comes for His own. They're going to be stolen away and taken away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord. Where? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's equivalent to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. When John was caught up in spirit and the trumpet sounded. But... You see, the two phases of Christ's coming are being pointed out. So this 24th chapter, I hope I'm not going too fast for you, but this 24th chapter of Matthew's Gospel is not talking about the rapture of the church at all. It's talking about Christ coming in, in power and great glory at the end of the tribulation period because Jesus is talking about tribulation here. Look down here at verse uh, 37. You still have Matthew 24? Well, verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angel of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now look, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now then, someone has taken this passage of Scripture and said, you know, Jesus came, Jesus is going to come and take us all away. But this taking away here is not taking us all away to heaven. This is taking away in judgment. In Noah's day, who was taken away when the flood came? Not Noah and his family. They were safe in the ark. The flood of judgment came and took them all away. In judgment. The rapture's not in view here at all. It's His second coming in power and great glory. And the judgment of God is going to take all the sinners and the wicked away just as it did in the days of Noah. Then shall the judgment of the world come at that time. Alright, back in Revelation, I believe I've given you at least a hint along that line. Revelation chapter 7. Now then, after we've dealt with these Jews that are saved and sealed during the millennium. And after uh, we have seen that they are going to preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout the, this tribulation period. I said millennium. I didn't mean to say that. Didn't I just now say millennium? After we've dealt with the Jews and their work up until the millennium during the tribulation period. I just now caught my thought on that. 
after we've dealt with them and they're proclaiming the gospel so that they will enter into the millennium in chapter 20 and they will be successful in their preaching during this tribulation period, we see that they have been successful and we see that there's a great multitude in verse 9 of the saved of the tribulation period, both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 9 says, After this I beheld in lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. Now here's a great multitude that stood before uh, the Lord. Stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And these are the saved out of the tribulation period. There's great multitudes. Now notice, they stood with white, they were clothed with white robes. And what's, what are white robes symbolical of? White robes are symbolical of the righteousness of saints. And palms in their hands, palms are symbolical of victory. They had won the victory. This great multitude. And they cried, it says in verse 10, with a loud voice saying, here's the song of the saved. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. People will be saved during the tribulation. And that's why you have later on a group of martyred saints in the presence of God. We already spoke of them in chapter 6 verse 9. Look at 6 verse 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Uh... Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long is it going to be before you pay them back for the death of all the martyred saints of the tribulation period? Someone might ask the question, where are all these people going to come from? Well, if you think of the sealed Jews... I was talking to some the other day and mentioned the fact that people act like 144,000 people is, oh, it's just like a whole... You know, we have billions of people in this world. And as days go by, there are new people born all the time. And during this day and age of grace, and in the remote regions of the world, there are going to be people that have never heard the gospel after... uh, Uh, before Jesus takes His own out of this world. There's going to be multitudes of people. And as far as 144,000 are concerned, just them alone, and then we'll deal with the Gentiles in a moment. But 144,000, if you ever watched a football game on television, and you see that stadium packed, there's usually from 80 to 90,000 people. Less than two football stadiums full of people would constitute all of these if you counted the number. They may even be representative of those that... These 144,000 showing you a representative number 
They may be very well representative, these Jews, of the sealed remnant that is to go into the old world. Because sometimes the twelve or the twelve number, the number twelve and the twelve thousand would indicate more than uh, just twelve, but a great remnant of people. And they could be representative of these tribes as well as an actual figure. Even if it's an actual figure of those that would preach during the tribulation period. That's not a whole lot of people, is it? Less than two football stadiums full for the ones that's preaching. And then think of them going into the other parts of the world and whatever number the remnant is and going into various parts of the world and preaching and there will be regions beyond and dark places of the earth that have never heard the gospel. And someone says, well, will anyone of this day and age of grace have another opportunity? I've found that there's not any scripture that shows that anyone that has had an opportunity of salvation during this day and age of grace has a second chance. I've not found a scripture that shows that. But I have found scriptures that shows most likely that they do not have. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, shows that there will be no opportunity for any of this age who have heard the gospel. This great multitude, uh, many of whom have never heard the gospel in this day and age, will be represented here in the book of Revelation or what we find here. If you want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it shows... uh, 2 Thessalonians, let me find it for you. Chapter 2. I could read, well, let's read down through verse 12. 1 through 12. Follow it quickly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled. Or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now then, the day of Christ here is really the day of the Lord. Paul says, I want to tell you that I haven't written anything about right now that the day of the Lord is at hand, because he knows that something's going to happen first. That man of sin has to be revealed, which is the Antichrist, before that great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And so he's pointing us to a a time uh, as we read. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away. Here's the apostasy. First, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this is the, the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When will that happen? During the tribulation period. And it says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. What is withholding? The Holy Spirit and God's people is withholding and is before that will happen. When they're taken out, the Holy Spirit goes out with them. The Holy Spirit will work with the... Hold your place there. Just put your finger right there to verse 7. 
The Holy Spirit will work with these Jews that preach, this remnant that preaches during the tribulation period, much as He worked in the Old Testament, coming upon men through their preaching from time to time. You see, when Jesus came and He died on the cross, He promised the Comforter to come and live and abide in you ever, forever. If you remember when David was praying in Psalm 51, after he had sinned, he said, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Well, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament days would come upon men and leave men. And when Jesus came, the Holy Spirit became a permanent dwelling in the hearts and lives of His people. The Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament, but not in the same way as He's worked in the New Testament since the days of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said He will abide with you. He will be in you forever and remain there. And He'll teach you all things. He'll show you all things. He'll bear witness to the truth. He'll guide you. And the Bible says, Paul says, He seals us until the day of redemption. So, what we're seeing here is that in verse 6, And now you know what withholdeth that He might be revealed in His time. The Holy Spirit is withholding this appearance of that man of sin that will be revealed in His time during the tribulation period. Look at verse 7. For the mystery... (coughs) Excuse me. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. See, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way when the saints are gone. And then, and then, when is it? And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. When he's revealed at the end of the time, when Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 19, he's going to destroy him, right? Then it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, we find that, In Revelation 13, where you have the two beasts, one coming up out of the sea and the one coming up out of the land, and the Antichrist comes up out of the land, and he does those mighty wonders. Now, verse 10, look at it. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received, past tense, not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They have rejected Christ during this day and age of grace. And therefore, what will God do to them? Verse 11. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They'll believe the devil's lie. That they all might be damned or condemned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it tells us that there will be no second chance. If we take this Scripture to heart, those people have received and they have rejected and God has given them a strong delusion. They've entered into the tribulation period. They've hardened their hearts against God. And when the devil's lie is presented, they readily accept that and they believe the lie that Satan brings. And he is a liar and the father of it, isn't he? And we're going to find his the revelation of him in the book of... Uh, uh, in Revelation chapter 13, how he comes, Antichrist comes on the scene, and he will deceive all except God's own people. 
All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Look, glance over quickly to Revelation 13 verse 8. And it will show you the deception during that time. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Because they will not be deceived. Because they have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Now then, this great multitude that's saved during the tribulation. Back, turn back to chapter 7, if you will. We're not quite through with it. But look, isn't it far easier to be saved during the day and age of grace when you can, when you, the gospel is preached that is the, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, than to see people that have to put their lives on the line for their salvation during the tribulation period. And most of them will be killed. We don't know that, but maybe some will hang on to the shirt tail of some of these Jews that are protected during the tribulation because you have that indication too. We do not have all the details of everything that will happen. But we do see the gist of it and the run of the mill of it so that we can say that God's people will be protected during the tribulation period, yet there will be many martyred saints during the tribulation period because we've already had the indication of that. The souls under the altar and God saying, wait till your brethren also are killed. You know, suppose you, suppose this were the time that you had a choice of accepting Christ with a threat of death, of martyrdom. Be pretty hard to do, wouldn't it? Every man wants to save his own skin, doesn't he? I mean, it'd be pretty hard if this guy says, you accept Christ and you're going to be killed. 